All right, guys. This is the Gundog Notebook, episode 18, featuring Tyler Webster, one of my uh, favorite, favorite, favorite uh, podcasts to listen to. Is He is the founder of the Birds, Boots, Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Say that five times fast. Um, and, you know, he, he's got a very, very unique approach to podcasts, and he, he loves what he's doing. He's been doing it for his whole life. He's been hunting and, and running gun dogs. He tells a story about, his, you know, he and his granddad. And, man, when you talk about somebody that really keeps the spirit and the soul of, uh, you know, hunting and running dogs alive, Tyler's that guy. So I just want to, you know, show my respect and, and definitely give an outward thank you to Tyler for doing this with us. You know, it took us uh, a couple of hiccup days because Tyler ran into some, some crazy snow up there in North Dakota. Never seen, never experienced that before. But um, we finally got it done. And, you know, like I said, this is it's a monumental moment with the podcast going on. I'm getting a lot of folks that I really, really respect uh, you know, on here and just think about this as another way to learn. I can't stress that enough, man. Like I want to, you know, as, as a new podcast or as a new, uh, gun dog handler and trainer and owner and all of the, the, the ER words, you got to learn somewhere, man. And, and if this helps you guys, man, I'm going to keep doing it. But Tyler's got tons of stories i mean i could have kept talking to him for the rest of the night as far as i'm i'm concerned and this is moments after you know getting off the phone with lily milner man this 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 gun dog thing i I just been cranking them out man and it's because i can't get enough of this information i really can't i can talk about this all night so i figure well hell if i if, if i can't bug one person i don't know i'll bug a quite a few people and get their opinions on things and all of that. It, I don't know. It you know, I'm running my mouth, but regardless, this was a good podcast. This is helping me out a ton. Uh the 2017-2018 hunting season is almost over. Ruger and I have uh one more pheasant shoot and one more uh quail hunt to do and we'll be done as far as that. I'm more than inspired than ever because Ruger just passed his hunt test. So, you know, I'm going into these podcast episodes with all kinds of fire and all kinds of energy and all kinds of gratitude to the folks that's contributing and, and making these what they are. It's not about me, man. It's about the dogs. It's about the guests that's on here and their experiences. And it's about learning. Uh, it's about sharing love and all kinds of stuff like that. So, Without further ado, man, I'm going to just say the last thing. Please make sure to rate, review, subscribe, uh, share my podcast. Uh, check it out on Patreon. You can check it out at uh, the Gundog Notebook Podcast, man. I would just, I'm always going to ask for, you know, any kind of donation because it will help with, you know, podcast uh, fees and things like that. And the more sponsorships I can get, and I'm hoping one comes soon. I uh, had one kind of float in the air, but I ain't going to mention that yet. I'm going to just let it be. Good Lord, my dog is knocking me over. But anywho, guys, this is Tyler Webster from the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. All right? Enjoy. 
All right, so this is Tyler Webster, guys. This what is, is up, folks? <laughs> this is the Tyler Webster um, from Birds, Buds, and Booze podcast. Um, so first of all, Tyler, I was there when you were the Western Wing Shooter. Yeah, the very fir- the first couple episodes, uh, I I I kind of like I really liked that name a lot, but then as I kept on going, I was like, it's it's a little bit more serious than I intend for my podcast to be. Yeah. So it just kind of like I didn't like I, after the first couple episodes, I was interviewing a couple of my friends, and then I had an interview with Des Young from The Hunting with Hank, mm-hmm. and then uh, a guy, a local guy who's a newspaper writer where I'm from in Minot, North Dakota named Kim Funningsland and it was really fun and it was it was kind of cool to sit and talk to those guys but then I was like you know I started I started my podcast because I wanted to talk to friends and people that I had a lot of fun with yeah. and you know I, I didn't want to there's already a bunch of other other content out there with people interviewing other famous people I kind of wanted to go with more of the the everyday hunter kind of backyard dog trainer slash weekend warrior whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it you know and and uh I, I thought that that was a little bit more it, it was going to be a whole heck of a lot more fun for me to go that route right. for sure than, than to stress over interviewing these big names and and uh you know being way more serious than i actually am so right. i just i decided to go ahead and change the name from western wing shooter to the birds booze and butts podcast which is a way more uh accurate description of of what my podcast is right no i you know as a as a listener as a fan i definitely appreciate the name change um and not that i didn't catch on to what you were doing beforehand but right. you know like i listen to i myself listen to all you guys podcasts ron bames yours um hell project upland like all of those and i and i think everybody has their own thing to contribute and their own little flair their own little thing and what i like about yours is again it's very down home very uh open very just free-flowing and y'all seem like y'all have a good time man oh man we have well i mean we have way more fun than we should uh, yeah and not not just during bird season it's kind of a year-long deal yeah and i i got i got like my core group of hunting friends are every one of them is just as nuts as i am so that is a really good dynamic for just never-ending fun yep. i mean like like this uh, two weekends ago, um, we were gonna we had a, a coyote camp out here at my farm, yeah. and uh, you know I had seven guys out here. We fired up my my little hunting cabin outside, and, and we sat out there and we ate chili and everything else. And like we did, we played cards and stayed up way too late drinking and telling stories. We did everything except kill coyotes. <laughs> That's basically what we did. And I mean, like we went out a couple times, but uh, the weather was really crappy, and it just—and nobody really cared, you know. We just, we just enjoyed. It was kind of an excuse for everybody to get together during the off season and just kind of hang out and chill. And then we went. We uh, uh, up here in North Dakota, we <laughs> we have these grain bins sitting all over the place. Most of them are are empty. But if they leave, if the farmers leave the tops to them open, like there's a little hole in the top, they fill up with pigeons. Really? And we call up pigeons in a can. So, so what you do is you get like five guys and you surround uh, surround one of the grain bins and you kick it and the pigeons start coming out the top like a popcorn machine. Oh wow! And, oh, it's like it's more fun than you can have. So we ended up doing that on Sunday just because <laughs> we you know we needed something to do. 
And then, like, I don't know if you like, it sounds kind of gross, but I don't know if you've ever eaten pigeon before. No, I've definitely but, eaten pigeon before. It's okay, fine. So, and, <laughs> I don't, I don't shoot it unless I eat it, bro. Now, that's my rule. Right, right. And all these are, you know, they're they're not, like, gross city pigeons that are eating trash and stuff. They're right. sitting out and they're eating the exact same stuff partridge grouse and pheasants are up here. Right. They're eating grain out of the grain fields. So we shot, we like, we only did this to one can. We shot 35 pigeons out of the one can. And then we picked them all up. We actually, had, we let the dogs out. One of my buddies has got a young puppy, so she went around and she was chasing wounded ones and everything else. And then I let my my setter out, who just finally decided this fall at the ripe old age of four years old that he was going to become a uh, retriever. Oh shit! And, uh, <laughs> I, so I, I let that, I let him out, and then uh, Matt's little dog BB, and they went around and they were retrieving pigeons and chasing down cripples, and they were having a good time. Nice. And then we picked them all up and we cleaned them right there and uh we pulled the breast meat out of them we made uh bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers out of them oh, and that was our that was our appetizer for the night when we were sitting outside in the, in the cabin drinking wow. whiskey and playing cards yeah that sounds like a phenomenal time dude oh it's it's you got to do something during the winter time up here to keep yourself sane though. <laughs> yeah yeah based winter, on everything you've been telling me like it's it's pretty rough up there from what i understand it can't be like we got kind of got spoiled for a really a good stretch of years from like 2012 until like 2016. We didn't yeah. have hardly any snow yeah. for like four years where we had open winters, you know, very little snow in the fields and very mild temperatures. Huh. And then last year, December, North Dakota kind of reminded us that we're kind of for bitch. And, uh, <laughs> like we got 70 inches of snow in the month of December last year. And what? Like, yeah, like and, and that's it was three storms. The Christmas Day blizzard last year about twenty eight inches of snow, and not oh not this coming to Christmas two thousand sixteen. So my birthday is Christmas Day. Oh, so I wow. spent okay. Christmas Day and the three days after digging my happy ass out of after this blizzard, <laughs> running with skids deer for hours every day. But like now this winter has been really really nice, other than the fact we've had some crazy cold temperatures but we haven't had any hardly any snow yeah until until last week um we went uh i mean even um last week when we had the coyote camp there was hardly any snow in the fields at all so it was easy to get around and everything else and it had been kind of melting on and off right and then last weekend or last week on monday tuesday we had like a it's hard to call it a blizzard, but I suppose that's what it was. Um, it was supposed to be 7 to 15 inches of snow. We only ended up getting like 6 and a half inches of snow, but the wind blew like 35 miles an hour. Wow. So I got, I got like a 7-foot drift outside my, my dining room window that I'm looking at right now. Oh. Other, than that, like, other than that, that's been pretty much our whole winter. It's been it's been pretty nice. But, um, you know, our, our winter can start like November 1st and not end until May 1st. So right. usually by about this time of the year, I'm starting pretty rambunctious wow yo that's crazy like i've i've never experienced snow that high like i promise you now it gets hot as dog shit out here but it 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 it, you know snow that high like dude when i tell you we get three inches of snow and it's like the end of the world (laughs) bruh it screwed up the whole city of atlanta when i tell you the whole city of atlanta i mean it looked like the walking dead man yeah well 
just for an example, last year, just in Minot, uh, the little town that I'm from, it, it's not little, I suppose it's probably 50,000 people. I mean, that's, that's not big by any stretch, but, you know, yeah. um, it's North Dakota big. It's one of yeah. the bigger cities in North Dakota. But um, in the month of December last year, I read that between what they had to pay contractors and overtime work for the city and gas costs just for the snow removal was something like $25 million. Wow. So just in the one month. So they set aside, they have a, a certain amount of money that they put aside every year that comes right out for taxes for snow removal. And if, they don't, if it doesn't snow that winter, then it gets rolled over to the next year. So like, it, it's something that we plan for up here. Yeah. Like, um, but now, one of my favorite times of the year to hunt up here, though, is December. I love hunting in the snow. Yeah. Uh, usually, usually a normal December will probably only have five, six inches of snow on the ground. It's usually pretty light and fluffy, right. and it concentrates all the birds. So, like, I love hunting in the snow. It's just like it it, it kind of weans out the the pretenders from the from the real deal of right. in the great white. <laughs> Yo, that sounds so ideal. Like, as I'm an artist, and I can just imagine what that scene is like. Oh yeah, you know, with the dogs and they're on point and everything like that. I can and only the imagine. Colors of the rooster pheasants as they come out from underneath the snow. Yeah, man, that that yeah, pretty green and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah the, man. the reds and the oranges and the greens. I got. In fact, I have a couple of. Um, I don't have very many but i have a couple of videos on youtube and one of them on there is uh uh it was rusty my 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 dog who's laying right here alongside me it was his first year yeah and it was in december we were down uh down south of, of the missouri river which is really good pheasant country we were down there on a late season bird hunt yeah and um on his first year he there's several videos of him on point with his mom, Daisy, honoring behind him and then a lab coming in in front of him to flush a bird out from underneath the snow. Oh, now, beautiful. sadly, none of the birds in that particular little clip were roosters. They were all <laughs> But it looked still, good. It still looks great. I mean, he was just a year old. He was like a year and two months, just staunch on point. And he was even, like, he was steady enough where the lab would come and work right in front of his nose and kick that, that hen up and he wouldn't, he wouldn't budge. Oh, wow. That's, that's yeah, good work. That's good dog yeah. work there. Yeah, you know he's he's a he's a steady dog. He, I mean, he uh, <laughs> I can kick around in front of him all day long. In fact, if I, I, this year I had a I had a wounded partridge. Yeah. And a, a wounded Hungarian partridge went into a cattail slough, which is a nightmare. Like the chance of you finding that bird is almost nothing, right? Yeah. So I get in there and he goes on point and. I'm kicking, I'm looking, and I'm kicking, I'm digging around, and, like, I look at him, and he won't move his head, but he's, like, looking up at me, and then down right in front of his nose, and then up at me, and right down in front of his nose, and I just, like, I parted the cattails right in front of his nose, and there was that wounded hunt, and it took off, it went to run, and he jumped on it, and grabbed it, and went, went on a little parading route around me, yeah. before he finally brought it to me, but, yeah, he's, uh, he doesn't, if, if there's a bird there, and he knows there's a bird there, he won't move until that bird flies. Hey, I'm with it. That's good dog work right there. Yeah, man. I'm I with it. it. So, you know, it's it's interesting that you you know, you you have these setters and stuff like that. I actually almost got an English setter. It was between yeah. a German short hair, an English setter, and a lab. Well yeah. <laughs> I, I I went with a lab. I got a I got a buddy from Michigan who would say, uh, uh you bought yourself a uh uh a skiing eye dog. Yeah. 
You said you said labs are for blind people, <laughs> <laughs> Bruh, They they got to be for freaking idiots too, man. Or 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 maybe I'm just the idiot because Lord, yeah, man, like I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I've always liked labs. They definitely have their place. Man, I I love them to death, but dude, I couldn't figure it out without them. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like up here, up here, the country's so big. That yeah, they need ground coverage. Right. And now. Like my ideal string of dogs up here would be six a six dog string, and it would include four setters and two uh, two labs. Okay, or four four pointing dogs really of any kind. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if they're short hairs, English pointers, or setters, whatever. Yeah. Uh, something that can cover some ground. Yeah. And if you have four of them, you can put two dogs down at a time and run a rotation. Right. And then if you start getting later in the season. And those birds are congregated, especially pheasants are congregated up in the thick cattails. Then you can start hunting them labs. Right. And then you also run your labs for waterfowl because the waterfowl up here is, I mean, legendary, literally. And, you know, so there's a lot of days, especially in the month of October, where we start out the morning duck hunting until like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning and duck and goose and sandhill crane hunting. And then either we quit at 9.30 or 10 and 11 in the morning and then we go and we upland for the rest of the day. Wow. So having having that variation in dog power and being able to keep fresh dogs on the ground is kind of the name of the game up here. Yep, and I, I heard you talking about that on one of your podcasts, just having, you know, dog power, as you said. Um, yeah. Dude, it's... See, up here, or down here, I guess, is, is funny because it's the total opposite where we don't necessarily have as much open land like that we got a lot of cover, you know, it's, it's, it's all trees and every and vegetation down here. So, you know, with this guy, he, he busts through cover like a linebacker, right? you know? Um, and like I said, I just, I, I, I got to repeat myself. Like I got to be an idiot or something. Cause this lab done taught me everything that I done, I've known, like seriously. <laughs> The sooner that, that most people that hunt with dogs, especially a dog with any kind of talents at all, yeah. the day that they realize that this, what they need to do is just step back and get out of the dog's way yep. and follow the dang dog, yep. that is the day that they actually become a bird hunter. <laughs> uh, like, exactly. I, mean, I, I always tell everybody, follow the hunter with the longest nose. Yeah. Like if, if I'm out there walking a field and I see my dog kind of start working off to one side or another, that's the way I go. Yeah. Because I don't necessarily know where the birds are at. I, I might have an but if he's working something, I'm going to stay behind him. And it doesn't matter where it takes me. I mean, like I like you know, I, I like to go on these big. Everybody calls them uh, the Webster Death March. Um, <laughs> I, we'll, we'll take off from the pickup, especially shark tail hunting, which is my favorite things to do. Yeah. And I'll be like, how you know, how far is this walk? I'll be like, I don't know. It might be a half mile. It might be four. Yeah. I have no idea. You know, like we, there's there's so much open land up here. And you never really know where you're going to end up when you start getting back into the big rolling hills until you, you know, you find the birds and all of a sudden you're a mile into it and you kick up a big covey of 30 sharp tails yep. and they go a half mile farther. Well, you're not going to turn around and go back at that point. Nope. You know, you're going to follow them up and see if you can't get another turn at them. Right. So, I mean, we've had, we had, the longest one that we had this year was six and a half miles. We ended up on a, <laughs> on, in one walk. Dude, um, that's not bad though. No, I mean, like, and there's, it, it was this one spot uh, that's just north of my farm here. It's six continuous sections of unbroken virgin prairie. Oh, wow. um, it's just ideal cover for sharp tails and for huns. 
And we parked one truck on one side of it. We parked another truck on the other side of it. We just decided that we were going to walk the whole thing because we didn't even, you can't get back there. I mean, there's no road to go back in there. So I was, I get curious about places like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that I'm sure that there aren't that many people that have ever seen the whole thing. So I had some people up here that were game for a long walk. So we just decided that's what we were going to do. And I had my limited sharp tails by about, a mile and a half into it and i was like well this is stupid now i got like four four and a half miles of walking carrying these goddamn birds and i can't shoot anymore and about a, a half mile past that i bumped a covey of hunts so then i chased them pretty much the whole rest of the other three miles before i finally got my three birds out of wow. that covey and i got back to the pickup and i was happy you know like there was five of us and we walked out of that field with our 15 sharp tails and like seven, seven hunts i think yeah so i mean it was totally worth it it was a great one well, and we got to see some country. We got to see some huge mule deer. We got to see a bunch of coyotes and whitetails. I mean, it was just—it was super fun. Yep, 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 yep. I mean, it, but again, it's the thing that that differentiates, you know, a lot of hunters from what I'm understanding. I'm so new, so you let me know what you think about this. But um, it's it's about how you know my mentor. He he tells me it's about how far you're willing to go. Because certain birds and, and, and the best birds and the best cover and so on and so forth are all located. Any smart bird is going to go where most hunters are not going to go. They're going to keep pushing it. Yeah, like down there, I would say that that's 100% true. Mm-hmm. Up here, there's um, there's very few true dyed-in-the-wool bird hunters. Yeah. Like, like there just aren't that many of us around. And there's so much country. Yeah. That, I mean, like, it's it's a little bit different here. I like hunting spots like that where you get way back out of the way, though, because there are spots back there where those birds may not see, it may be two or three generations between them seeing actual hunters. Wow. Like, it, it, it could be two or three years before somebody gets back there with a the dog. So is what I like to do is I like to save those big nasty walks like like that for late in the season yeah because that's going to be where nobody else has has been stupid enough to go back and right and bother them birds you know they're all going to try to get the, the ones that are easy the little half mile walks so i mean and i'll do the same thing during the early season because it's usually too hot up here to really go on those big nasty walks but come november and late october like those birds haven't been harassed so it's like it's like getting it's like almost having a second or third opening weekend you know what i mean like yeah. it's, it's like you're, you're going back there and you're hunting birds that are mature but they've never seen people yeah so that's what i really like wow dude i i just i wish i could experience man and not i wish i'm going to experience like i want to yeah. come out there and you know, just kind of see what it's like because you guys, you know, just like you explained it, in addition to, uh, you know, you guys have a lot of huntable land, dude. Oh, dude. I, I, I just, if, if I drop Ken at my house, I drew a 25-mile circle all the way around it, I can probably hunt close to 50 or 60% of that. Wow. And out of that, if and I hunt a lot. I mean, like, last year I didn't hunt as much as I usually do, and I still hunted, like, 65 days. Mainly, like, not that many full days, but during the fall, I got off, I got off work at 1.30 in the afternoon, so in September, I got six hours of hunting left. Yeah. And same in October. I mean, I'm off at 1.30, so I got five hours of hunting left. So I get a lot of half-day hunts. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I never hunt the same piece of cover twice in a year. I 
just don't do it unless I go in there and I see like, um, you know, there's this one spot that we hunted last year when some of my friends from Michigan were out, and in the one walk we moved five separate coveys of Huns, and we only got like six of them. So we only actually shot birds out of two of the cubbies. So we went back in there a second time and we ended up getting a bunch more and then we left them alone for the rest of the year. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of my rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with sharp tails because I mean, they're a little bit more, they don't necessarily have a home range like Huns do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Huns are generally, you can find a covey of Huns within about a a, a square of a half mile circle basically yeah. um they're a little bit more like quail but sharp tails are kind of migrate back and forth but if you find a really good sharp tail field with the, with a proper cover and a lot of um there's these little berries they call them buffalo berries and then there's another one they call snowberries one of them's red one of them's white and they kind of grow on like buckbrush and stuff like that and if you can find a field with a lot of that in there then sharp tails love them and they'll eat them all the way through the winter because the, the berries will stay on the bush pretty much the whole winter right so if you can find one of those spots there's going to be birds in there all year long so i try to only hunt that spot once or twice and then move on to a different one i just got so many i mean i could literally hunt a different field every day and never hunt the same one twice Shoot. yeah man that's it, that does, is... it doesn't suck man it doesn't suck <laughs> clearly not and every time i hear your podcast i'm like damn i want to get up there <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very jealous, man. I'm very jealous. So, you know, I guess what I really like about what you have going on though, is you, like, you keep tradition very well. You keep note yeah. of tradition very well. And yeah. I, I kind of wanted to, you know, have my audience and, and myself, I, it would just be an honor for me to hear kind of about your history and, uh, how you got into it, any stories you got, man, just run it. Like I, I, when I tell you, I love hearing Tyler Webster. It's <laughs> well, the coolest I'm, thing in the world. Well, how much time you got? Bro, <laughs> like, how, got, much, got how much, how much coffee time. you got? Let's put it that way. I, I, I got more stories than we got time. Right now. <laughs> All right. But, well, uh, like I started, uh, like, I'm, I think, I, I guess I, I don't have any idea if this is typical or not, but I, my grandpa started me hunting. Okay. Um, my dad was more of a fisherman, um, but my grandpa was the, he was the hunter and he was a bird hunter. He didn't, I mean, he, he would go deer hunting, but it was more for meat because he, you know, back in the seventies, he was a school teacher. You know, you got to shoot a couple deer during the fall. That was a lot of meat that he got to save money on, you know? Um, but he, his passion was bird hunting and trapping. Right. So I started going along trapping with my grandpa when I was still in a baby basket. <laughs> and I started going along bird hunting with him as soon as I was old enough to walk. And wow. I started actually carrying a BB gun and they would let me like, you know, shoot the wounded birds and stuff like that when I was like five. And then I started actually carrying a shotgun when I was eight. And uh, we like our tradition was every Sunday. We hunted every Sunday, every every Sunday of the year. Didn't matter if it was raining, snowy, windy, cold. Didn't matter. We hunted every Sunday, and because um, he he always worked Monday through Friday at the schools, and then on Saturday he had a second job that he didn't get off until like five in the afternoon. Right. So you know he, he he was he was a workaholic is really what he was. But uh, so Sunday, like um, we would starting at the age of eight, like I said, we would, we'd go out and he'd kind of 
taught me everything I know. Um, we didn't have dogs back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was the dog. Um, <laughs> it was like, hey, I think there's probably some sharp tails in that bush. You should go through there. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd go running through there, and the birds would come out, and he'd be shooting the birds and laughing, and I'd go and pick them up, and I thought it was awesome. Right. And then, uh, uh, back then, there was a lot of, like, way more huns than there are now. So um, one of my first memories and and i still think the the main reason that i became a good shot was because of this actually it was because my my grandpa for the first three years that i hunted he made me carry a single shot a single shot 20 gauge yeah that's the best way to do i'm gonna do my my kid like that but only with 14 yeah yeah and he uh he made me you know just that single shot and he, he only let me take so many shells per walk, you know, so I was, I was gonna, I was gonna make my shots count. Right. So there was a spot out by my, out by my, uh, second cousin, like family land, kind of, out, out northeast of Minot, and, um, we got out there, and there's this kind of, it was kind of an L-shaped sunflower field. Um, it wasn't very wide, it was probably only 20 yards wide, and then it was probably a quarter mile long, and it, it like, L'd into this old abandoned set of railroad tracks. Hmm. So my grandpa said, um, I was like, I think I was 11 at this point. So I'd I'd been shooting and I was shooting okay. And uh, he said, all right, Tyler. He said, I want you to walk up that that sunflowers and then turn and head back towards the railroad tracks. And I'd walked this bunch of times, so I knew exactly what he meant. And I took, uh, I took, I think I took 10 shells with. And back then the limit was five huns and three sharp tails. And when I walked out of that field, I had five huns and three sharp tails, and I had one 20 gauge shell left. Wow. So I, I've missed once. And that, he, I, you know, I was 11 years old. He sees me walking back with this bird vest, basically dragging it on the ground and just struggling. Wow. I got some birds in my hand, and I, like, I'm trying, like, my hands are cramping up and everything else. And uh, he walked out and he met me on the railroad tracks and he was, you know, he, he said, hey, do you need me to help carry some of them? And I said, nope, I got them. And he put his arm around me, you know, patted me on the back. And that night when we got back to town, we took that single shot 20 gauge up and we traded it in for a pump. Okay. And then I'd, I'd earned my way to but only two shells in the pump. <laughs> he said, I'm not going to let you, you're not going to be wasting all that ammo. So, and then he caught me like probably a month later with three shells and he made me walk the rest of the day with no, with no shells. But, wow. uh, he, and that's why I became as good of a shot as I am. And then eventually I moved up to the semi-automatic 12 gauge. And that's kind of what I shot yeah. for most of the rest of my adult life. But, uh, um, yeah, there's so many stories and he was, he was a great shot. He had this old, uh, Belgian made Browning Sweet Sixteen, one of the Yo, big old humpbacks. I want yeah, one like, of those so bad. It's a beautiful gun, and my my cousin has it, and I keep on trying to buy it from him, but he won't sell it to me. That bastard. <laughs> uh, He's but, a smart uh, man. Yeah, but he. I mean, we. Um, I mean, it was always just me and him. And yeah. Uh, he people would cringe because he'd shoot steel shot through that old sixteen gauge, and we'd hunt ducks with it, and he just he just shot everything, you know. Yeah. And, um, I remember probably my favorite memory of hunting with them was uh, at this place called the Pass. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it a dozen mm-hmm. times. It's kind of our, uh, it's our go-to crane and duck spot. Yeah. And, uh, and we somebody missed a lot of times at a crane, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every-
everybody seems like people just don't understand how to uh, how to lead those things. They're the size of a Volkswagen, but they're moving <laughs> faster than people think. So, <laughs> I keep on giving Craig, Craig Craig Jones from Michigan. I keep on giving him shit about that because it's like, man, you can hit a rough grass, but you can't hit a good <laughs> crane. <laughs> like, like, that crane's got a bigger wing spread than your short hair is tall. I people mean, probably underestimate hair. it, man. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, uh, I, well, I mean, here's a little sidebar to, to the story, but I shot at one uh, this last year when Brent and Craig were up in September. Uh, these cranes were coming over, and we were we don't have any decoys. We were, hide, we were we were in the field that they wanted to be in, but we were hiding in rock piles. So they'd come over at like 45, 50 yards, and you'd just pass shoot them, basically. Yeah. But um, so we're hiding in this rock pile, and this flock of like seven cranes comes in, and I, I pull up and I shoot, and one drops, and. Brent's like, my God, that was a good shot. And I said, I was aiming at the first one. It kept one back. He's <laughs> like, no. Oh. like, was it a good shot, man? I was like, yeah. I mean, it's a burnt down, I guess. <laughs> right. Either way, look, I take my win. We like the Falcons over here. I take my wins how I get them. So. Right. I, I, I missed by six feet, but I got one. <laughs> right. All that matters what you bring home, man. But anyways, me and my grandpa, we were down at the pass, and it was just the two of us for some reason. There was a lot of times where we'd go down there, and there'd be, you know, eight or seven or eight people, and we'd just kind of lie on the shore of this lake, and, you know, it was kind of like the firing line, you know? Mm-hmm. But for the, for some reason, it was just the two of us this morning, and it was super foggy. I mean, you couldn't hardly see anything. And uh, we walked down there in the dark, and we got, there's these two bushes along along the south shore of this particular slough, and we sat in those bushes is where we always sat. Right. And uh, you could just hear just thousands of cranes and geese and ducks all around us. Yeah. But you couldn't see anything. So the, you know, the, sun, the sun started coming up, and everything kind of lightened up, but it was still so soupy you couldn't hear, you couldn't see anything, but you could hear them. And um, pretty quick we started hearing swans. Uh, tundra swans and we could hear them and every once in a while you'd look up and you could just kind of see them going through the mist above you and you'd hear the water splash where they were landing out in front of you yeah and uh we sat there for hours just talking and and listening to those birds and finally about nine thirty in the morning the fog lifted and there was like a thousand swans in front of us in water wow. and we sat there and we never fired a shot and about that time my grandpa turned to me and said well you ready to head back i said yep <laughs> and we got up and walked on out of there never fired a single shot all day huh but it's just it's you know, just it's, that's just a real moment I mean, man yeah i mean like those those kind of things those are you know i've had hundreds of days in the fields where you go out and you shoot a limit or you shoot a bunch of birds or you you know you see great dog work or anything like that but it, it's a few moments like that where you're spending it with people or dogs for right. that matter but you know, there's just those special days that you're going to remember and that was one of them right yo that's that's a special thing man and you know for me when i get out you know hunting and stuff my thing is i don't want to go hunting without my dog Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really give too much of a shit about going to hunt with anybody else if my dog right. ain't there, right. you know. And there's this that special bond, man. And you know, I wish I could say that I shared the same, you know, shared the same experience because I'm a first generation hunter. Like I taught myself, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm that. This is actually how I, you know, do things and how I learn. And just this is, you know, because of the internet. Like this is my way of reaching out and saying, oh, hey, sure. like, yo. <laughs> What are you yeah. doing out there? What are you doing different than me? 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, and there's, you know, there's, uh, you know, wait until you get to the next step of being a hunter where you actually don't even, where you just like being with your dog so much you don't actually care if you shoot birds or not. Right, right. <laughs> like, uh, that, that's kind of the, the stage where I'm just kind of coming into, which still seems kind of foreign to me. Uh-huh. Like, uh, I mean, like I was telling you before we started recording to, uh, this evening, uh, I strapped on the snowshoes and me and the dog just went walking and exploring and pretty quick I found... Like we've ended up finding some some huns, right. and uh, he was pointing, and the birds were holding nice, and you know it was I was having so much fun watching him that pretty quick I I looked up and we were almost four miles from the house or yeah. three and a half miles from the house, yeah. and it was getting dark, <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, I was late getting in touch with you and. But I mean, like, it, I have so much fun just being out there, just spending a day out there, whether I'm shooting anything or not. Right. That that's, I mean, that's. Whoa. I mean, he, the dog even goes to work with me during the day, and when we drive around at work, if I happen to see birds, I let them out, and I let them, we go and hunt those birds, even if I'm not wow. shooting at them. Yo, you, know? you, 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 you live a dream life, man. I really do. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went through about ten years of trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with myself, and then yeah. it kind of turned out that. The universe kind of solved everything for me. Uh, wow! <laughs> everything just kind of worked out to be pretty much perfect. Dude, it's that's freaking awesome, man! And yeah. uh, you know, I uh, I'm a, like I'm a teacher, and so mm-hmm. you know, I, I get I get a chance to hunt on the weekends. And when I do, I'm pretty much, you know, all in. Like, ah, this is my thing. And I've been doing a lot of pheasant shoots recently, man. Like, yeah. just a lot of pheasant shoots. Um, I got a, I got a uh, pen bird uh, hunt coming up. Because down here in Georgia, man, like, we, we get what we can get. Um, you know, and then, uh, and that'll be pretty much the end of my season. And my dog actually just passed his first uh, hunt test, his started test. So, you know, we... We just been kind of doing that, trying to extend the season as much as we can, you know. Um, but I want to get down like this season. We got a chance to go out to Kansas too, mm-hmm. man. When I tell you, just the amount of land and ground that yeah. was available to cover, dude. Yeah, it, it, it's you know, and people that have never, and, and I mean. North Dakota isn't the West. I mean, like, it, it's, it's kind of like, but I, I consider anything West of the Mississippi River the kind of the West. Right. And uh, when people come out West for the first time, whether it's coming from the East Coast, Michigan, Pennsylvania, any place in the Southeast, and they come up here for the first time, like, when I tell, like, I've talked to a lot of people uh, from my podcast here in the last in the last year, and people that have gotten a hold of me from hearing me on on Ron Bames podcast and everything else. Right. The first thing that I tell them when they're, you know, they're like, what is the, what is the one thing that we need to do before we come up there? I said, the first thing you need to do is have reasonable expectations and bring enough dogs. Right. Like that is a hundred percent key because they're like, well, a really good example is when Ron and, and, uh, and Dave Utzinger were up here from Michigan and right. the end of, end of October this year. Um, we rode around with us and we'd drive driving down a gravel road and he'd be like, Can I hunt that? I'd be like, Yep, can I hunt that? Yep, can I hunt that, yep. <laughs> and it's like like you just there's so much prime cover and so much land that a person can actually hunt. Even if you just come up here and just hunted like Corps of Engineer land, you could walk from one end of Sakakawea to the Montana border 
just follow the whole shore of the lake, like 300 miles of public land. Like it is, I mean, it's so, I mean, people, and like you're saying, when you, when you went to Kansas this year, you you see all that stuff that that you have available and you just have to look at it and dissect it. Like you have to look at it and be like, okay, there's, just for throwing out a number, there's 9,000 acres of, of land. Mm-hmm. Probably all the birds are going to be in 200 acres of that 9,000. Right. Like, that's the way you have to look at it. You need to cut off smaller pieces and break down the pieces because otherwise you'll just, you'll drive yourself crazy. Right. Right. No, it was, it was crazy. I mean, my dog eventually got to the point, he straight gave me the middle finger, man. Like, oh, for sure. <laughs> and we were hunting with a lab and a Chesapeake. Like, and mind you, he oh, got, man. he got his first yeah. wild uh, quail, which was awesome. I mean, it was textbook, yeah. man. Like, textbook flush shot, goes down, retrieves, brings back to hand, even poses Perfect. for the photo, photograph. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I equate it to golf. Yeah, know, absolutely. Golf. You hit that one good shot, and that's what keeps you coming back. Yeah, you had that one perfect piece of dog work. That's enough. Just to, like it didn't matter if if you would have had the rest of your hunt would have been shitty. You would have yeah. still remembered that. Yeah. So that makes it a positive hunt, and it also puts you know it, it, it's incredible experience for your dog. Yeah. And that's that's that nowadays that's what i look at more so than you know like when we were down we went down to arizona this year in january hunting burns quail and campbell's quail and uh you know (laughs) the whole time we're like we ended up shooting shooting a decent number of birds but the the best piece of dog work we had while we were down there i was uh my dog in front of somebody else and the guy ended up missing the birds wow. and like, it, it didn't even matter to me like i was like you know what whatever man like that was perfect yeah like, the birds were where they were supposed to be they held perfect the dog didn't move the you know i was like i don't care if he had those birds or not man right. like, <laughs> it was, i mean it's just really about the performance man right right i mean like that's the the shot is you know, once the bird is dead that's the not exciting part right like it's the anticipation walking up to a dog on point right it's seeing a lab getting birdie and his tail going a million miles an hour mm-hmm. and you're walking up there just knowing that bird's going to take off at any second yeah it is that anticipation and that adrenaline that is what hunting is about it's not necessarily about after the shot it is what happens the lead up to that the yeah. trip the spending time with your friends the planning that is that's hunting Right. Uh, the rest of it, I mean, the killing part is is such a small part of the whole experience that mm-hmm. I think it's overlooked a lot. Well, it it is, and the killing part. I mean, your hunt's over at that point in time. You know, right, if you right. haven't gotten your limit, it is that's that much closer that it's over. You know, right. every I mean, like, every flush. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, the, you know, like when we when we go down to south of the river, there's a couple spots I got permission on in some unbelievably good pheasant country. Yeah, and you know, we'll drive. I mean, it's 120 miles each way for us to go down there. Yeah. So we go down there, and then we make two walks. We've shot 12 roosters, and that's like, well, what the hell do we do now? Yeah, you know, I mean, like it's it's awesome. It was it was great. You got to see 500 pheasants in in three miles of walking. Yeah. And I mean, that's not an exaggeration. You literally see that many birds down there sometimes. And it's like, okay, you know, I mean, that that's awesome. We got a, we got a cool picture for the tailgate, but we're done hunting in an hour. Right. You know, I mean, that's, 
and two years or three years ago, three years, yeah, three years ago, we got invited to go down to a, a driven hunt down in uh, kind of on the border of North Dakota, South Dakota, and outfitters down there. And like, <laughs> like this was this was just straight killing. I mean, there was no hunt. There wasn't was any dog work. Um, <laughs> it was the last week. It was the last week in a season, and, and down there, there's so like people that haven't haven't seen it just google like region north dakota pheasant hunting yeah and there's there's videos on youtube of like thousands of pheasants walking across the road and stuff like that i mean it is it's ridiculous Are you serious? It's, it's i want to see that. i'm gonna yeah. check that out yeah do it i mean but it's all fee hunting down there for the most part you have to pay and so i had this i had contact in fact the guy who got me started in bird dogs his name's steve geller great guy i'm gonna have him on my podcast soon okay um but uh, he he's friends with, with two of the guys that own this outfitting business down there. So the last weekend, they have all their friends and family come down just to kill as many roosters as they can. Because if they have a hard winter, they feed the pheasants all winter long. And the roosters will actually drive the hens off feed and starve them out. What? So, yeah. So they, like, the last weekend is basically just kill time. It's like, get every rooster out of here that you possibly can. So... The, one, the first day that we were down there was a Saturday. Season closes at, at sundown on Sunday, right? Yeah. So we get down there Friday night. We went on a short little hunt. We ended up shooting like five roosters before it got dark. That was It was fine. It was fine with us. So we get up the next morning, and these people start showing up. And, you know, soon there's like 10 people. And I was like, okay, well, this is a lot of people. Then there's like 10 more. And then there's like 10 more. And then, like... When it was all said and done, there's 46 people show up for this hunt. And, like, the landowners got a chalkboard and they're, like, drawing strategic, like, battle plans of where we're going to hunt. It's like this farmstead and everybody's going to circle the farmstead. I'm going to walk through it with my lap and flush all the birds out. You guys start shooting roosters. (laughs) And I was like, what in the hell's going on? Like, this is not anything that, like, this is, like, speaking... Chinese to me like I just don't it doesn't compute right so we get there and as we're driving up to surround the farmstead like 300 pheasants fly out I was like oh okay well you know that didn't work and <laughs> the landowner is like screaming over the radio he's like get in position get in position I was like all right so everybody gets out and little did I know that just because 300 pheasants flew out of this little five acre farmstead didn't mean there wasn't still like 700 more in there so at the end of this one walk, just the one guy walked through this little five-acre farmstead with his with his dog. There were ninety-six dead roosters at the end of it, what? and we shot a forty-six person limit in two farmsteads. And I was like, "This is the most idiotic thing I've ever done yeah. ever." Like, I mean, like it was really cool for about five minutes, and yeah. then I was like, "Guys, this is." No, this, this is honey. It's, it's just pheasant genocide. Right. So we, we you know, we, we had to go back and we cleaned the birds and back at the outfitters. We were staying in the, sh- in the shop that he converted into a hotel. And uh, we woke up the next morning and all these pe- same people were showing up again. They were going to go do the same thing. And we just kind of bowed out. And we went and did our own thing on public land and, and yeah. got some dog work. And we ended up shooting our 15 birds, yeah. you know, a five-person limit. But it took us all day. But it was way more fun than past shooting flocks of pheasants. Right. You know, like it, it just, it was, it, it, I would much rather spend a day 
a full day out hunting and not quite get a limit of wild birds than mm-hmm. to go and do something like that again. Well, I mean, dude, that's so true because, I mean, at that point, it's like I said, it's just genocide. Like, at you know, you just shoot yeah, no stuff. It, goes, it li- literally just goes from hunting to killing. That's all it is. You and know. it's so anticlimactic. I mean, you're just you're standing there, and there's birds flying over you, and you can pick out the ones with the longest tail feathers if you want because right. there's hundreds of them. Right. And it's I mean that's you know like and I I get why they do it, and there you know there was a bunch of people that come over from Minnesota for that, and it's yeah. like you know what I mean if I only got to hunt one time a year that would be awesome. Right. But when I get to hunt all the time, and this particular last weekend was kind of rare. It was like. 35 degrees there was just a little bit of snow on the ground there was no wind so that's pretty unusual for north dakota in january so i was like i'm not gonna waste this day you know i'm not gonna and that was uh that was when my old dog ace was i think he was just about 13 at that time so it's like you know this may be his last season i want to get out and i want to actually hunt and that's what we ended up going and doing and you know i i remember so many points from the second day when we were off hunting by ourselves and i barely remember pulling the trigger on the other one right well dude i mean i don't know man i when i go out to hunt it's i i gotta get some kind of uh an experience you know Um, i mean because it's pointless to to do anything like that and you know and and even i just got this new uh tristar uh over under it's a setter and i actually really like the gun and I like that double gun, and I was shooting a pump before. My thing is, sometimes them birds got to win. All right. That's right. And, yeah, if you have three shells, you know, up here in North Dakota, the limit's three pheasants. Yeah. You know, what happens if a covey of three gets up and you shoot all three, and now you're done for the day. Right. You know, shoot them doubles or, or you know, like with Huns. And I still shoot my semi-automatic 12-gauge every once in a while just because it's, like, I just don't miss with that gun. I right. just, I've shot it for years and I've shot thousands and thousands of rounds through it. It fits me perfectly. And so occasionally I'll go out, but as my rule with it is, is that the most I'll do is shoot a double. Yeah. Like if, if I'm, if I'm shooting, especially if I'm out hunting hunts, like I'll shoot a double on a covey rise and then I won't chase that covey anymore. Yeah. Or, uh, if you know, and you know, you don't need to. Shoot, I don't want to shoot three out of one one bunch and then be done for the day. I mean, even if there are other species to go chase, I'd rather end the day with with two partridge, two grouse, and two pheasants yep. than go out and shoot three pheasants in one walk and then just go home. Right, dude. It's it's so. it's it's not much to it after that, man. No, um, no. yeah. You know, so mean, if, if you're out if you're out bird hunting for the meat, yeah, like specifically just to eat to feed yourself it's yeah. kind of the wrong sport it, it so, is mean, because you're not like, going to come back now at the same time when i go oh, out to hunt delicious. yeah the birds are absolutely delicious a now a hundred percent yeah, oh, yeah. And, like that's one of the things that i look forward to the most yeah like if you go out there and you have great dog work and the weather's nice and the scenery's beautiful and if you don't come back and if you come back with only one or two birds that's a good day. Right. You know, I mean, like, it, I'm, I'm going to eat regardless at the end of the day. You right. know, I, I'd, I'd rather see my dog have a good time. You know, I I don't get after my dogs anymore if they bump a bird. You know, they feel bad enough because they understand what they're supposed to do. Right. You know, I, I'm not going to, like, I used to hunt like my my life depended on eating wild game. Right. And I just don't anymore. Like, it's, I, it's like, not. I, I'm going to. 
I, I have so many days to hunt. I'm going to kill plenty of birds over the course of the year, regardless. Mm-hmm. I don't need to. I don't need to hunt them like I'm mad at them. Right. Right. And 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 you shouldn't. Now, when I go right. out, like I'm, I'm just an. I'm, I'm a competitor, so. Uh-huh. It's highly unlikely that I'm a miss. I hate to toot my own horn, but right. I think I shoot enough to where I can say like it's it's less than likely that I'm going to miss. But no, if I don't, sure. you know, but if you know, I'm out there like you said for the enjoyment, the relationship right. with my dog. Like, and I, you know, I thoroughly appreciate the the look that my dog gives me when I do miss. He's like, bro, like oh, yeah. get your life together. Oh, I got a, I got a great story about about. In fact, I think like, and this is this is really going to sound braggadocious, but go for it. This this may have been the last rooster that I literally just flat out missed. I mean, something like I shoot at plenty of birds over the course. Like my my rule of thumb is if they're thirty yards and closer, there's no excuse for missing them. Oh, absolutely. After, after thirty yards and and up here hunting wild birds, especially late in the year. If you don't shoot at birds that are 40 yards and even a little bit farther and, and just choke up, you know, shoot full chokes or yeah. improve modifieds, then you're really going to struggle in late season because you just don't get – a lot of times you just don't get close work. Right. Um, and that's just kind of the way it is. But uh, the last bird that I – like, this bird got up under my feet and I missed it three times with an autoloader uh, was wow. like five years ago. And this is like when my uh, – he was 10 years old. He was just coming. I guess he was just on the downside of his prime, but he was still just an unbelievable dog. Yeah. And we were hunting this tree row. It's a mile long tree row in CRP. And there's snow on the ground and there was a bunch of birds around and I knew that there were. And we're walking this tree row and I got uh, my dog mentor, Steve, on the other side again. He's like 70 years old now, but he still gets out and gets after him quite hard. Yeah. But, um, we got about a hundred yards on the tree road and Ace goes on point and we walk up there and, uh, I kind of kick around a little bit and then I, I turn around and I, I just, my, my release command is just to say his name. I just said Ace and he started hunting again and he tracked about another hundred, 150 yards and he went on point, walked up there, same thing, kicked around, nothing. Yeah. Release him a third time and he goes all the way to the end of the tree row, which is like probably, 300 yards away at this point probably 250 yards away yeah and he goes all the way to the end of the tree road and he goes on point and i was like all right steve he's got that bird up there he's got that bird pinned at the end we start walking up there and we get all the way up to the end of the tree road and it's just like we were talking about you know it's that anticipation you know that bird's there dog's got him you know what's going to happen next right and we get up there and i kick and I kick and nothing happens. And then I kick and where I kicked the third time in the snow, my foot busted through. And there was a, like a tangle of branches underneath there. Mm-hmm. And in that tangle of branches, I can just see that rooster's tail. And that rooster had buried himself underneath there. And I said, all right, Steve, get ready. I see him. And I kicked one more time and this big rooster comes busting out of the snow and flies straight away from me. And I, I shot the first time and I was so surprised I didn't hit him. I actually pulled my head off the stock of the gun and looked and then put my head back down on the <laughs> stock and fired two more times and missed. And Steve just starts laughing because he's never seen me miss that shot. I mean, it was a layup. Right. And my dog just, he looks at me out of the corner of his eye. He kind of side eyes me. And I said, all right, Ace, let's go find another one. And that dog walked behind me the rest of the way back. No, right. <laughs> he was so pissed off. He's like, you know what? 
I chased, I, I, I ran that bird a half mile and I <laughs> buried him in the snow for you and you couldn't hit that goddamn thing. <laughs> oh but my he God. Was so, he was so mad at me. When we got back to the truck, I told him to go jump in the kennel in the back of the pickup and he laid down and licked his balls. Oh! Like, that dog was pissed. It was the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. And, like, the look he gave me, and then finally I said, hey, he's getting the goddamn kennel, and he jumped up in the kennel. <laughs> and, then the, and then the next walk we got out, and I shot two birds or whatever, and then all was forgiven. Yeah. But, like, that was the last bird that I legitimately just flat out missed. And he... Uh, I mean, the look on that dog's face was just pure disgust. He's oh like, my God. I am finished with you. Yo, <laughs> yo, it, it's, it's, it's so crazy how as much love as dogs will give you, oh, when they're pissed. Oh, yeah. Pout. Yeah. They're just like children, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's that big fancy word, anthropomorphizing. And right. <laughs> And it, but I don't care what anybody says. Anybody who hunts with a dog long enough, <laughs> they get like they will tell you when they're mad at you. Oh my gosh, it <laughs> like, is just it's ugly, man. And you just oh, feel yeah. so bad, like oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I mean, I've I've seen so many different dogs over the years from so many different people that, and you know, my dogs tend to get spoiled just because I get to hunt so much right. and we live in bird country, but you'll all have people come up here and hunt with me from all over the country that, you know, they might only get to hunt two or three weeks a year. So right. if, if they, you know, them missing birds, them dogs have to live with that for a season. Oh my <laughs> you know, gosh, that, right. Like my dogs have to live with that for a walk. Right. And, you know, and that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, you know, there's, I'm, I'm so fortunate to, to have grown up in, I mean, you know, when you talk about upland bird hunting in the United States, there's three states that automatically jump to the top of the list. South yeah. Dakota, Montana, North Dakota. Right. Like, those are the three destination wing shooting states, especially for prairie birds. I mean, pheasants, partridge, grouse. Absolutely. And, you know, and... I, North Dakota is the only one of those three that doesn't have a trespass law. So growing up in high school, after I got done with school, I got to drive out in the country a half mile outside of town, and anything that wasn't posted on the corner or on the gate, I could go hunt. I didn't have to have permission. I didn't have to know the landowner. I didn't have to worry about if it was public or private. As long as it wasn't posted, I can access it. Right. And so from the time I was driving at 15 years old until – Today, I mean, in September, that's what I do. <laughs> like, I just go hunting every day. Wow. You know, whether I have anybody else to go with or not. My my dogs, have, especially now that I've gotten older and a little bit more secure in life and everything else, they they get to reap the benefits of that. Right. Well, dude, it's. I mean, that's amazing, and it's like I'm gonna make it a goal of mine to get out to North Dakota with you, man. Like, oh, dude, I, well, I, I, uh, it's it's I hard because I'm in Georgia, know, but bro, I'll try. Sure, man. Like, oh, dude, I got people coming from farther away than that. You can okay, get all right, cool, <laughs> we can do it then. But, uh, like, I got a. I, I don't know if you heard a couple podcasts ago. I kind of got this idea in my mind mm-hmm. that I'm gonna have. I'm gonna start having a bird hunter's jamboree up here at my house every yeah, year. Yeah, I heard that. All right, so and, talk to me about that. Well, 
it's not set in stone yet, and it definitely can't happen this year. Yeah. I'm already booked. Like my little cabin is full from the opening weekend of uh, partridge and grouse season in September until the 18th of November. So it's full for like two months. Right. But starting in 2019, I think is what I want to do is I want to get like 20 or 25 guys. I want to have everybody come out here in October. It'll still be nice enough outside where, you know, if a person wants to pull up a camper or pitch a tent or whatever, I'll have beds for probably 12 or 13. And then the rest of them will either have to rent a hotel room in town or camp on my farm, or maybe I can finagle a camper or something like that from some of my friends. But yeah. um, I want to get everybody together and probably everybody pitching. You know, it's not going to be expensive, expensive, probably going to be like four or 500 bucks for three days. And that's right. going to cover food. Um, everything except for your hunting license and shells, basically. Right. And then, uh, the first night that everybody's here, I want to have a, I bought a, a wobble trap, one of the battery operated ones where you get to remote control, release birds and stuff like that. Yeah. I want to, the first night I want to have, I won't be involved and I'll just be keeping score. I want to have a trap shooting tournament. And, uh, okay. the winner of that, the winner of that will probably get, you know, I'll peel off like $400 or something like that out of, out of what everybody pays for the first, first place prize. Okay. And then they'll get, they'll get a, a, a uh, they'll get a trophy and it's just going to be for the year. They got to bring it back up the next year or if they don't come, they got to mail it to me. Right. It's going to be a, 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 a yearly thing. Okay. I like this. So that's going to be, that's going to be. Friday night, then we're going to have a big barbecue, grill a bunch of steaks, and have a big bonfire. And then uh, the next morning when we get up, we're going to split up into groups of four or five. And we're going to go and if people want to go waterfowl hunting or upland hunting or predator hunting or whatever they want to do. If they want to buy a boat, they can go bow hunting. They can do that. Right. And then everybody just meet back and we'll have supper every night, sit around, tell stories and and then on a Sunday night, I got a, some friends of mine who have a band. They're going to come out. And they're going to they're going to play some music, and uh, we'll just it's just going to be a good time. We're going to call it. Uh, I was thinking of all kinds of names, but my buddy Hatchet Mike kind of named it. Uh, instead of the Birds, Booze, and Buds, it's going to be the B Three Jamboree. B Three Jamboree. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I think that's. I think we're going to make that work. And then Mike's dad is a. He's a very accomplished cook. He's going to come up. He's going to be the camp cook for the week. Um, he'll make uh, he'll make breakfast for everybody in the morning and then supper for everybody at night. And uh, we'll just we'll just kill a bunch of shit and have a good time. <laughs> Dude, all right, all right, all right, all right. So I don't have any excuses. I need to make my ass up there. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, I mean, where else are you going to get to go in North Dakota during the middle of the primest week of the season? For four hundred bucks, and sit around with a bunch of other people and eat great food. I mean, there's nothing else that's going to be cheaper than feeding yourself and renting a hotel room. Bro, yes. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. All right, I just so. think that I think that like, and I got I got a big group of people going down to uh, Arizona this next January as well. Yeah, there's going to be like. 17 of us that are going down there or 18 of us or something like that to go hunt quail and everything else out of my aunt's bed and breakfast. But I want to do one up here Yeah, that is just an annual deal where, you know, people just, it becomes kind of the, kind of the annual bird hunters gathering as far as degenerate bird hunters go. <laughs> well, look, count me in, man. I definitely, 2019, that's a good time too. like, that's, that's plenty of time to, you know, prepare for that. 
For and, sure, yeah. And, I mean, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna set anything in stone until probably like next year in January after we get done with our uh, our big hunt down in in Arizona. Right. And that'll that'll give everybody like ten months to start preparing, or nine and a half months. And um, if their if their livers and their legs are in good shape by then to go hunting and drinking, then you know I don't know what to do for you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel bad for you, but uh, I'm about to go out here and do this. <laughs> <laughs> dude that's that's cool man tyler you are freaking like everything that i hear on your podcast man you you've definitely lived up to be just that and i really appreciate that like oh man for sure i, I appreciate i appreciate coming on your podcast i'm gonna have to do the same thing with you i'm gonna have to call you sometime and okay get you on get the get the the trials and tribulations of a new hunter and oh my god dude how you say how much time we got Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> man, like I, I'll tell you one thing. My dog, man, labs are great. I love them to death, and that I feel like that's like the dog that I, I do want a pointer. But right now, that's where I'm at. And man, like as 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 good as my dog hunts, and we'll be out there on quail and and ducks and so on and so forth. Man, this weekend at this hunt test, he passed. Don't get me wrong. I'm proud of him. He passed. But like, yo, I'm just about like, dude, these retrieves are not that hard for you. Like we do this all the time. Right. We, we, we went like three days straight of just pheasant shoots. Like really dude, really. And I I, I talk to Craig Jones all the time. He's one of my best buds. And uh, he, uh, you know, he's, he's passed several dogs in all different stages. He, he used to run Chesapeake's and he, he's got a dog in the bird dog hall of fame at Chesapeake for mm-hmm. retriever trials. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, he's got two dogs in the bird dog hall of fame that are uh, nav diversible champions. And he says, mm-hmm. you know, and his, his big, his favorite saying is, is that, you know, all these dogs can pass it. It's what dog shows up on test day. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, they all have the ability to do it. Right. It's just, you know, and most of them is that the dogs can read your body language and yep. how nervous you are and everything yep. else. Yep. And it, it really can affect their performance as well as your own. Right. And, and, and I think that's what was there. Like, you know, I never had, you know, never experienced anything like that. Mind you, the community was awesome. Loved everybody. Like it was great. Um, you know, pro trainers, uh, shit, man. Like I, I honestly got connected to a lot of cool stuff. But, you know, it's just that nervous tension. And, you know, as I was explaining, I was uh, explaining to my wife because she was like, yo, all the trainers used to say, like, dogs know when they're hunting versus when they're in a test. And, uh, you know, and I was like, yeah, they do, because they pick up on how nervous we're like you said, like how nervous and things like that. But, you know, when we're hunting. I mean, shit. <laughs> it's, right. it's let's get up and go get them. Like, ain't no nervousness there. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and and we exactly. tromping through the woods and doing this and doing that. So, you know, it's just a totally different experience. But, man, when I tell you, it's like... It's just a game. That's all it is. Yeah. That's all it is, man. So, you know, it's it's I love it to death. And I can't... I, I wish that I was able to have started like maybe around the time like when you did and was is and was brought into it but at the same time now that you know i do have the time and spend the energy out hunting as much as i do right um it makes it more valuable yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah, people, I, I've seen so many people that grow up up here yeah. um, that, you know, we have an embarrassment of riches. Right. We have great fishing. We have great bird hunting. We have great waterfowl hunting. We have great deer hunting. Right. And those people that grew up with it, a lot of people, especially their parents, they were they tried to push it on them and then it became no fun. Now they don't do it anymore. Right. You know, and, or they, uh, you know, a lot of people they'll go out for the opening weekend of pheasant season and then maybe one other time and then that's it. Right. You know, and that's the people that come into it later in life. It seems like they become more ravenous for it. Like they, they, like it's almost like they're making up for lost time. Right. (laughs) And and you, you never will make up for that lost time. But it's worth trying. Right. Like, I mean, like hunt every day. Like you're not going to get to go again. And, right. and, you know, you'll, you'll die a happy person, as far as I'm concerned. Dude, and, and that's that's where I'm at, man. Like I said, I always I always say, man, I jumped in, you know, feet first and head first, you right. know, into the hunting game, and you know, well, even most people most people that run dogs, they jump into the shallow end of the pool and hit their head. That's <laughs> that's, that's what's wrong with them. There's, I mean, like there are like I. I, I literally bought a farm 10 acres of land and moved to the country be, so that my dogs would be closer to bird country. Right. Like, I mean, like there's, there's nothing logical about the addiction to bird dogs. Right. And it's it's really not. No, but it's, I mean, you know, and people, there's a lot of people that, that will never understand it. Like yep. a lot of the, the diehard, diehard big game hunters are like, yeah, I, I get to go hunting, but when I kill something, I get 80 pounds of meat or 100 pounds of meat, and I get to feed my family for all this time. What do you get? And I was like, well, on a good day, I come back home with a pound and a half of meat. Right. Maybe. <laughs> you know, like, and a maybe damn good gonna, time. Right, right. I mean, but it's there's nothing more enjoyable to me than walking through the field with a good bird dog. Right. And busting your buddy's balls after the bird that he missed that got up at his feet or – um, you know, watching somebody shoot a bird over your dog for the first time, or I mean, just you have a million experiences, right. and the smell of the air in the fall. I mean, it's like it's 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 like I make it sound unnecessarily romantic, but it is. But I mean, it is. Like, I mean, that's that's like, exactly what it is. I tell people it's artistic, like right, right. It's, it's I mean, very like, artistic. You know, I mean, if you ask, you know, there's, what, 360 million people in this country. If you walked up to a million people and you said, do you know what the air in October in North Dakota smells like with ducks flying overhead? And they'd be like, no, right. well, I do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, I, and I, I'm damn sure never going to forget that even if I didn't get to go hunting another day in my life. Right. Like, it's it's a part of me and, I, you know, it's always going to be there. So, Man, that's. That's a blessing, man. And I like I said, it's it's so cool that you decided to offer that perspective because, you know, somebody down here, like especially me being a new hunter, I would not have known about that world. You know, it's yeah. it's so far away. Well, and that's you know, like when I got into this, I, I said it I said I had a couple of goals. And one of them was is that I wanted to record as many of my good hunting buddies as I can telling stories and laughing. Yep. Just because I would give anything in the world to have recordings of my grandpa yep. sitting around the table with his brothers and nephews and daughters and everybody else telling hunting stories from 40 years ago. Right. And those a lot of them stories are lost. They're never going to be there. You know, like some of them are forgotten. People right. never know them. And I don't want, you know, 50 years from now, 
nobody knows how many of my hunting group is going to be there. Right. I mean, you know, there's everybody has an expiration date. Nobody knows what it is. Yep. So, I mean, I want I want to get as many stories recorded as I can, and I want to record the laughs and the voices. Yep. And the and the other thing I wanted to do, my secondary goal, was I wanted to expose people to the opportunity that that is North Dakota. Um, it is one of the only states left where a, any person who wants to, to do it yourself hunt mm-hmm. on the cheap can still do it. Yeah. I mean, if a person wants to come up here in October in the middle of the best time of the year to hunt, during the migration for waterfowl, during the opening few weeks of pheasants, when the weather's still nice, you can come up here and you can buy an out-of-state pheasant tag or pheasant or upland license. I think for a week, I think it's like a hundred bucks. That's not bad. And I think it's one hundred and twenty-four dollars, and you can you're guaranteed a waterfowl license if you want one for another hundred dollars for I think seven or fourteen days. I can't remember what it is. Wow. And so you come up here and you spend. Worst case scenario, three hundred dollars on hunting licenses, and then you camp in a campground, yeah. and you can like anybody who has any kind of ambition at all can look at a map book and just go hunt public land yeah. and still do better than almost any place else in the country, and that doesn't even include just the non-posted pu- private land. Right. I mean, right. and besides all that, most of the stuff up here that gets posted gets posted for deer season. And if you tell them that you want to go out there and you want to chase birds, other than pheasants down in the southwest part of the state, if you tell somebody you want to go on sharp-tailed grouse or hunts, most more times than not, they're going to say, "Yeah, go ahead, go have a good time." And I wanted, you know, if if it's if I can give anything back to the hunting community, even if it costs me a hunting spot or two, Mm -hmm. it's well worth it to me. Um, Just to have somebody else come up here who's never experienced before come up here and and experience what I was lucky enough to be born into. Right. Dude, that's, that's so real. And that's so genuine, man. Uh, I like, thank you. (laughs) Dude, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Seriously. Like I enjoy doing the podcast. I love it. I have no plans on quitting anytime soon. I've I've had so much fun. And, uh, you know, like now we, we kind of have a, we have a little group of, of bird hunting podcast guys, yeah. you know, me and you and Ron Bame and Nick yeah. Larson and, and, uh, Craig Jones is starting his own podcast. Yeah. I want to, I want to hear that Dude, one. It's going to be so good. He's, he, I think he's got, he already has a, a logo and everything else. It's going to be called border to border bird hunter. Okay. And, uh, he's going to be starting, I think in the next month or so. And he's going to be more in the training and technical side of it and, mm-hmm. and how to plan, how to plan a trip because he's you know he's a destination bird hunter i mean yeah. he's from michigan but he plan he comes out here in North Dakota every year we planned uh, a trip down to arizona last year now this year we're planning on going up to montana to go on sage, sage grouse wow. so i mean he's 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 going to get into that aspect of it he's going to go through training books and stuff like that and craig's just like one of the best dudes i know so when that one comes out you know we'll have another another addition to the Right to the, the the wealth of useless knowledge, <laughs> dude. It's and that's the thing, man. Like I I started a podcast so I could because hell I couldn't get enough of hearing y'all's. <laughs> I was just like shit. Um, I can't keep playing theirs. Like I don't know if it jacks up their ratings or something like that. But I I just kept playing it and so on and so forth. But you know, like I said, it helps me. Uh, 
you know, learn and, and continue the tradition and yeah. continue, you know, the lesson. So I guess my last question to you, and I'll let you go because we are at like an hour and 10, bro. Yeah, <laughs> um, if you had, you know, consider myself a new hunter. If you had anything knowledge wise to offer new gun dog hunters, uh, what would it be? Don't take it too seriously. Don't take it too seriously. Go out and have fun. Don't get mad at your dogs. Uh, you know, especially like and I, I was as bad as anybody. Uh, you know, you expect you expect your first dog to be what you see on TV. And you know, what uh, the people on TV that they're on TV don't tell you is that a lot of times for that dog to retrieve those birds to hand, it might take ten or twelve takes. Yeah. So like, the dogs on TV aren't perfect. No dogs perfect. You broke up that last part, Tyler. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I said they're not people, no matter how much we talk to them or what the people, you know. But uh, you just need to take it, take it easy, and go out there and just enjoy it. And the- hey, what's up, man? You back? Hey. I literally sat at the same spot for an hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> so uh, what I was saying is that, you know, well, you know, when we're out there hunting with those dogs, you know, when I was young and out there for the first time, I expected more out of my dog than I was willing to put in. Yeah. And you'd see a dog that busted a bird or didn't retrieve the way you wanted or whatever. And it would tend to kind of ruin the moment. Yeah. Don't don't let that happen. Just go out there and enjoy it and be hang out with your best friend and you know, more time that you put into them, the more they're gonna want to hunt for you. Yeah. And that's I mean, there really is no secret to it. I mean that's that's just it. Just enjoy them for what they are. Yeah. And if they're not perfect, that's fine. You know, there's always gonna be another bird, there's always gonna be another opportunity to try to you know, to try to correct that mistake. Just don't don't you know don't don't expect too much and don't be hard on them and just enjoy yourself right dude i that i can i can dig that man and i uh i really appreciate that yeah so it's, it took me a long it took me a long it took me almost two dogs to figure that out so. yeah yeah <laughs> well and, and it takes time i mean i'm on my first one man and it when I tell you I'm enjoying the ride and I'm enjoying his personality and I'm enjoying the good, the bad, the ugly, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you gotta be like that depend, you know, no matter what breed it is, you know, I think it's, yeah. it's always funny that we get in these, these, uh, conversations about pointing dogs, punching dogs, this, that, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you know, each dog is going, it, it, as long as you do your part in getting the dog and the research and the bloodlines yeah. and blah, 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 blah. Um, that dog is gonna want to work for you. Yep, there's gonna be, there's always gonna be those outliers yep. that just that, that just don't have it. Right, and that's fine. I mean, there, you know, there's those dogs can just be pets and be part of the family. That I mean, that 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 is gonna happen, and every breed doesn't matter what it is, right. even if you do your research. Right. There's just gonna be some dogs that just aren't hunting dogs. Right, but if you get a decent hunting dog of any kind, and you put in. If you can put in five hours a week with that dog, just spending time with it, that dog will want to make you happy no matter what it is. Right. And I mean, as far as, you know, what breed a person gets, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, 
like you can get a like I swear to God you can get a German Shepherd and teach it how to hunt if you want to put your time in. Right. Um, like I mean, you just can't. Dogs are dogs have been domesticated to make to to work with people and make people happy for thousands of years. Yeah. And you can I mean if you can teach a dog how to find a bomb you can teach a damn dog how to find a bird right you know i mean like it's there's no science to it i mean it's you know you just you just just let let them be your best bud and you know and just enjoy it yeah no i I, i'm with it man and that's that's been my experience so far so you know i i'm definitely uh going to keep following up with you if you don't mind like oh, for dude, sure man i'd love to do this again yeah man like you you really offered a lot of insight and i, I appreciate that and you know well, maybe it's, come it's, 2019 when you come up here for that hunt we'll do one in person and then uh i think uh at the same time i'm, I'm thinking that we might have like five podcasts up here at that time okay like, <laughs> I, talked, I talked to nick larson he wants to come up here in 2019 and ron's up here every every year in october Oh well, and, shit! Uh, I gotta get Craig's up there still now. Around, Craig will be up, so. Bruh, I I gotta get up there now. I, I can't have all y'all uh, podcast gurus get up there and I, and I not be there. Well, if, if if you don't come up, then we're just gonna keep on sending you all kinds of pictures. Of all that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to make a last minute flight. So no, don't do it to me. I'll be there. Right, right. <laughs> well, Tyler, man, I I can't say how much I appreciate it and. You know, I, I I really, really, really love what you got going on. I'm always looking forward to, you know, your new episodes and shit, man. And I, I just love the format, how you did it. And so, no, man, I appreciate it. It, it means a lot. Like, I love, I, like, it, I mean, honestly, I, I always say that I... Oh, thank you. I, I got a lot of positive feedback. It really does. It does make me feel good. So yep, yep. And uh, I, I've I've been listening to yours too, and I'm a fan as well. So well, ahead, thank like, you. Like post yours on on my on the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast Facebook page, and I'll uh, I'll share it out on my personal Facebook. And to bug you for an episode here pretty soon. Okay. Hey, man. Look, you got my number. Feel free to ring it and all of that, and I'll uh. I'll upload this tonight, and I'll post it up on uh, the uh, Facebook website. Awesome, man. All right, dude. Well, you have a good one. Thank you again. Yeah, no problem, man. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Talk to you later. All right, guys. That's a wrap. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, That was Tyler Webster, like I said, and as you heard already 50 million times before. Um you know, I've been cranking these podcasts out, man, and I just kind of want to reflect on it and thank God and thank everybody else that's really been helping uh, contribute to it again. All my listeners, uh, you know, all the people that are new subscribers and things like that. And just, you know, keep listening, man. This I'm, I stay inspired. I promise you I stay inspired. So just, um, you know, stay with me and let's let's make this thing happen all right uh you know outside of that stay tuned uh ain't no telling what i got coming up next for the podcast and what other guests i've got a few in mind but we'll keep you on your toes keep you supplied i mean uh surprised uh last thing man like i'm just asking you guys i'm i'm begging and pleading almost like 
rate, review, subscribe, share it. Uh, you know, this will be shared on the uh, Birds, Booze, and Buzz Facebook page. Check Tyler Webster's page out there, too. For more information, you can find Tyler Webster's stuff on iTunes. Uh, that's where I listen to it at. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, uh, Birds, Booze, and Buzz podcast, and uh, along with a lot of the others that were mentioned. So, with that being said, guys, I'm going to let y'all go. Get on out there, hunt. Shoot some, enjoy your dogs, let's have a good time. Two fingers.